What kind of dirt are you? We're going to talk about dirt today. One of the things people have been doing a lot more of during this pandemic stay-at-home time is gardening. With more time at home and the increased concerns many have about where their food is coming from, who's touched it, where did it come from, where is it going, all of that, it makes sense that gardening would be something a lot of people are taking up. So they have control over their food literally right out of their own yard. Well, in the midst of this increased interest in gardening for growing food, it's my prayer that we also have an increased interest in the gardening of our souls. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's flip over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, and begin reading in verse 1. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. As he often did at that time, Jesus is teaching the people along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is not really a sea as we typically think of a sea. Instead, it's a freshwater lake, similar in shape to Lake Tahoe, believe it or not, and about a third its size. The terrain around the lake is not unlike the terrain around Folsom Lake, actually. So to help you imagine what it looked like as Jesus is teaching, you can picture yourself on the shore of Folsom Lake in the springtime and really not be too far off about the way it looks there. The crowds of people gathering to see and to listen to Jesus are getting so large that he often teaches from a boat that would be pushed out from the shore a little way. Teaching from a boat protected Jesus from being crushed by the crowd as it pressed forward to try and touch him. But teaching from the boat also lets him take advantage of the acoustic qualities of the terrain so the people can hear him. He gets to back off a little bit from them so his voice can project over the entire crowd. In verse 2, it says, He taught them many things by parables. Many things. He taught them many things. What we have recorded in the book of Mark are only a small part of all that Jesus did and taught. He taught many things to the people, and much of that teaching is not even recorded in the gospel of Mark or in the other three gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. John, he even includes a postscript at the end of his gospel that says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that Even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. 
See, a common misconception is to think that the only things that Jesus taught are the things that are found in the four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the teachings of the apostles in the rest of the New Testament also reflect the content of Jesus' teaching. I mean, where do we think they got that stuff? All the stuff that we have in the writings in the New Testament came from Jesus. To assume that only the gospel books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John contain the stuff that Jesus taught and the rest of the New Testament books contain stuff made up by others is incorrect. The gospel books and the epistles rely on one another and form a unified whole together. They can't be separated from each other. It's not like, well, this stuff came from Jesus and this stuff came from Paul. No, it all came from Jesus. It says, he taught them many things by parables. A parable is a story, a comparison, an analogy used to illustrate and teach spiritual and moral truth. Jesus often used parables in his teaching, couching spiritual truths in these stories and illustrations drawn from common everyday life. The word parable literally means to throw beside. There are two root words in Greek that make up this word parable, para and balo. Para means beside. From para, we get our English word parallel, for example. Balo means to throw, and from balo, we actually get our English word ball, something that we throw. So together, they mean throw beside, parable. This particular parable is often referred to as the parable of the sower or the parable of the farmer. But the focus of the parable is really on the different types of soil. A more descriptive name would be the parable of the soils. Well, verse 3 through 9 is the actual parable itself. And we've just read it here. This parable, it begins and it ends with a call to pay careful attention it says, listen, in verse 3, and then at the end, in verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because of the, the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. When Jesus says, listen, and then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, he's giving us a clue as his listeners that there's more to this story than just the story. This story means something. So he's saying, listen carefully to what I am saying. Consider it deeply. Think about what I'm telling you. There's something going on here below the surface, and I want you to look for it. Seed was sown in broadcast fashion in those days, meaning the farmer would just fling the seed out with his hand, and as you can imagine, the seed would end up getting scattered all over, not just in the best soil of the field. The parable here, it says, some seed had landed on the hard path or the road, and the birds, they came along and they ate it up. Some seed landed in rocky places where the topsoil was very thin and sparse. The seed 
germinated and it began to grow, but because the soil was so thin, the young plants had no root. The hot sun came up and it scorched the young plants and they withered and they died. Third, says some soil landed among the thorns and other weeds. The weeds, though, they grew up and they choked the plants, preventing them from maturing. And then finally, some of the seed landed in the rich topsoil. The seed germinated, it grew, it matured, and it produced a beautiful crop. Do you think that you would have understood the underlying meaning of this parable if you had never heard it before, you heard it for the very first time, and no explanation was given? Probably not, is what my guess is. The people listening to Jesus that day, they didn't understand it very well themselves, not even his closest disciples. See, the thing that separates people is not the level of understanding or knowledge that they have, but their desire to know and understand. Notice what happens next in the story as we get into it here. The the real disciples of Jesus, those who are really followers, those who really want to know him, they stick around and they ask him to explain the parable to them. The real disciples of Jesus are not those who know everything, but those who want to know him and pursue knowing him. It's still the same in our own day. Those who really want to know Jesus are going to seek after him and put time and effort in to get to know him and learn his ways. I want to encourage those of you who are seeking that. Don't be discouraged by the trouble that you may be having with understanding things in the Bible. Do do you want to know Jesus Christ then keep at it. Don't give up. It's your desire to know him that matters much more than how much you actually know at this moment. You will increase in your understanding as you seek after him. Verse 10, it says here, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So after the crowds left, the disciples, they come and they ask Jesus what the parable means. There are many people who didn't care to really know and understand Jesus. They didn't take to heart his admonition to listen to Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. There were the religious leaders who were just looking for a way to discredit Jesus. And there were people, many people, who wanted to see a show and be entertained. They wanted to see miracles. But they weren't interested in the weightier things that Jesus was teaching. They would say, nice story, but hey, when are you going to do another miracle? Verse 12 is a quotation from Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah is describing the hard-hearted people of Israel who had repeatedly turned their back on the Lord, stubbornly refusing to listen to him. And this same attitude was present among many <clears throat> the same attitude was present among many of the people in the crowds that gathered around Jesus. And As the prophecy in Isaiah suggests, their repeated refusal to listen would eventually become their judgment, cutting them off from salvation. 
The parables were a way of separating those with faith from those without faith, those who wanted to really know Jesus from those who were merely interested, excuse me, those who uh, really wanted to know Jesus from those who were only interested in being entertained or wanting to discredit him. The parables both revealed truth and concealed truth. If someone wanted to go below the surface and know who Jesus was and learn from him, he would gladly and generously go there with them. Jesus was not trying to prevent people from knowing him and receiving salvation, but he was not going to be playing people's games either. To use another one of his parables, he was not going to throw his pearls to pigs and have them trample them under their feet. Well, verse 13 says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus, he seems to be saying here that this parable is one of the easiest to understand. If we have trouble understanding this parable, we're going to have trouble understanding all of his parables. So he begins to explain to them in verse 14 the meaning of the parable. He says, The farmer sows the word. The farmer is Jesus Christ himself. The seed that the farmer is sowing, scattering, spreading, planting is the word of God, the teachings of Jesus, the gospel about Jesus Christ. I want us to take note that the farmer and the seed are the same throughout the parable. What is different are the ground, the soils, the patches of dirt. The same potential life-containing seed is given to everyone. How a life responds to the seed, the word of God, is what is different and what determines if fruit is produced or not. Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. When sowing seed... A flock of birds would often follow behind the farmer. And we see that even now if you drive through the valley when the farmer is plowing the field and he's planting it, you'll see these flocks of birds following along because they're hoping to pick some of that seed up and eat it. The seed that fell on the hard ground of the road or the path, well, that was easy for the birds to pick up and eat. Some people are like the hard ground of the path or the road, Jesus says. The word of God, it never penetrates their heart. Satan, the birds, comes along and steals the word from them before it has a chance to germinate and begin to take root. They have no appreciation for the message. They reject it outright. These people, they might say something like, you know, Jesus Christ... I'm not interested. It's not for me. Jesus, he said some nice things for a person to live by, but I don't believe that he's the Messiah. I don't accept the teachings of Jesus in that way. I'm not going to follow him. I am rejecting him as Messiah. It's interesting that Satan is portrayed as having a hand in preventing a person from accepting the word of God, the gospel, Jesus is Savior. This is not necessarily true in every case, but it is apparently true 
in some of the cases at least. Verse 16, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So some people are like the shallow soil found in rocky places. The seed sprouts up quickly, but then it dies because there's not enough soil for the plant to get firmly rooted. The sun comes up and it scorches it. These people, they initially receive the word with joy and excitement, but when difficulty, trouble, persecution, hardship comes, they fall away. They have no depth. The word never takes hold in them. These are people who perhaps recognize the value of Christ. They recognize their need. They believe the message is true. They like what Jesus appears to be offering. But they never let Jesus and his word sink into their life. They never enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. People like neat packages and formulas and recipes for life. Formulas and recipes and programs, they give us a sense of security and control and accomplishment. Unfortunately, they are almost always an oversimplification of reality. So when life presents us with a situation that that formula can't handle, disillusionment is often what takes place. When a person only embraces the ideas and the moral ideas Deals and traditions of Christianity without a life-transforming relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it will ultimately let them down and fail when things get hard. Christianity is not a set of principles for life. It's not a set of steps to follow to be successful in life. Christianity is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When we are in a relationship with God through Jesus, we know him and we know he knows us and we trust him with our very being. When difficulties come into our life, we lean harder into the Lord rather than fall away from him. Rather than questioning the goodness of God, we see him as our lifeline for surviving the pain and the hardship. We cling to God more rather than let him go. The Word of God produces no results in this person's life because the Word of God never takes root in them. There is no relationship with God. Christ is not in them. There are only some ideas. If our Christianity is nothing more than ideas and ideals and traditions, then our Christianity is next to worthless. Verse 18 He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So some people are like ground that is full of weeds and thorns. This ground has the potential to be good soil, but it lacks proper care. These people hear the word, 
They recognize their need for Jesus Christ. They accept the message. They take hold of it. But they're preoccupied with other things. They don't have an undivided heart of devotion for the Lord. They let interest in other things and worries about life consume them. They seek after material riches over spiritual riches. They desire the admiration of their peers over the admiration of God. They desire the things of this world over the things of God. They live a life of distractions. Their love for God is mixed and divided. The good things the Word of God begins to produce in them get choked out by the weeds of their life. This doesn't mean that we can't have other interests in life besides the Lord, but when our love for other things competes with our love for the Lord, that's trouble. Good soil allows no competitors to exist. We need to have a relationship with the Lord as our primary soulmate. The Word of God doesn't produce the intended results in this person's life. They don't grow spiritually. They don't mature. They are stunted. They never experience that life transformation that should be taking place in them. Verse 20, finally, he says, Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So finally, some people are like good soil. The seed sprouts and it sinks its roots deep into the soil, growing and producing a beautiful crop. These people, they hear the word, they accept it into their life, they follow it, they allow it to develop deep roots in them. These people, they, they have an undivided devotion to the Lord. They have a real relationship with the Lord that gives them strength and resilience. Have you ever noticed the root system of a healthy plant in rich soil? If you've ever dug a plant up and, and you lift it up out and, and you take a look at it, as, as those roots go deeper into the soil and they sprout, it becomes hard to distinguish roots from soil because they are so intertwined with one another. That's what we want to see in our life. That's the kind of relationship that we want to have with the Lord. We, we want to be so intertwined and connected with Him that it's hard to distinguish between Him and us. What is a fruitful life? The one that Jesus is talking about here. A fruitful life, a fruit-bearing life, it's, it's not a person who's accomplishing great things for God, although they might be. Instead, a fruit Bearing life, a fruitful life, is a life in which God is doing good things in them. A life that exhibits the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A life that has the qualities of the new life and nature of Jesus Christ growing in them. The Holy Spirit is producing in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit-bearing life is a life that is growing in Christ-likeness, a life that is becoming more and more like Jesus. That's a fruitful life. Well, in closing, let's collect some of this together. The big idea for us to take hold of today is this. Be good dirt. 
be good dirt. I think many of us, we find ourselves, though, moving back and forth between being good dirt and dirt with weeds and thorns, right? I mean, don't spread it around, but I think that is the situation most of us are living with. We have the potential to be good dirt, but we're not always tending our life very well, are we? We, we let the worries of this life come in, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things to choke the word. We live with divided devotion. We live a life of distractions. And the result is a lack of the good fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in us. Well, what can we do to be good dirt? First is we need to listen to Jesus. Jesus, he began telling this parable with the words, listen. And then he ended telling this parable with the words, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. We need to listen to the word of God. Take it to heart and follow it. That would be the first thing for us to do to be good dirt. Next, we, we need to trust in the Lord through life's difficulties. In the parable, one of the reasons that the seed fails to grow and produce fruit in our life is, is because of the difficulties and the worries of this life chokes it out. Verse 17 and verse 19. Well, think about this. What does a farmer do to improve the soil? He adds nutrients to the soil. And in the old days, the way that was done was by spreading and mixing manure into the soil. Think about this. Well, the manure in our life is the difficulty, the trials, the troubles we face. We can let that manure choke out the word, or we can trust the Lord and let the manure cause the word to flourish in our life. Let the farmer mix that manure into the soil of our life to add nutrients for a beautiful harvest of fruit. That's what the Bible teaches, you know. Look at James 1, 2. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Manure. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The fruit. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Over in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light and momentary troubles... The manure are achieving for us an eternal glory, the fruit that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We need to trust the Lord through life's difficulties. Let the farmer use the manure to enrich our soil to produce beautiful fruit. Third, we need to seek after spiritual riches rather than material riches. What Jesus called the deceitfulness of wealth. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life 
and the life to come. Then a little further in that same letter, 1 Timothy 6, 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And then a little further in that same letter, 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You might be like, well, I'm not rich. Oh, yeah, we're all rich. This scripture has application for all of us. Don't discount this. Don't ignore what's being said here. This speaks to all of us. Command those who are rich in this world to not be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God. It says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, you and I will, Lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age age, so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. Finally, we need to make the Lord our greatest love and allow no competitors, no weeds. What Jesus said, the desires for other things make him our greatest desire. Mark 12 29, Jesus was answering the question, what was, what's the most important commandment? And he said, the most important one, answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Allow no competitors. We need to tend to these things continually. Be good dirt. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the teaching of Jesus that's recorded here in the Gospel of Mark for us. This parable about the soils, Lord. We want to be good dirt. Where your word, Lord, flourishes, produces a beautiful crop in us. I pray, Lord, that we would each be called to you in full devotion, Lord, that we would make you our one and only. We would not allow competitors. We would not have the desire for other things to come in and push you out, Lord. We would not allow distraction in our life to fill it with everything but you. Especially in these times that we're living in, Lord, we pray that we would be good gardeners of our souls. We would be concerned about the fruit being produced in our life. We would tend our lives, Lord. Receive your word. Let it have its good effect in us. Make these things so in Jesus' name. Amen.